Stampede. Garner is at number 97, recorded 5-9-2021. I'm in line with making improvements in the way we live. Improvements concerned with the aesthetic. I want to see beautiful things and to see what our future will be may mean I'm prejudicial. I have opinions. I readily admit I have little use for most of our politicians, especially those who have been in office for over 40 years. They say they're working for the people, but I have difficulty believing that. It's true I'm not happy, content, or satisfied with the people who attempt to shape how we should live. They say they want to protect us. Well, that hasn't worked out lately. Take, for example, our military-industrial complex. Over the years, We've spent trillions of dollars in developing weapons, and there have been politicians and generals that have gotten rich doing it. All sorts of people have benefited in the production of weapons, selling them around the world, claiming they're protecting the American people, helping to promote our ideals, when in fact, they're helping themselves to live in those expensive, gated communities around Washington, D.C. And to question who and what those powerful people have done 
can get you into a lot of trouble. They like what they do, and they don't like people interfering with it to unravel the way the military-industrial complex conducts business could put your life at risk in this country. Instead, I'd rather turn my attention to the recent $2.3 trillion infrastructure bill being proposed today. There's no holding our politicians back, because when they get done reinventing new ways for transporting Americans over land, sea, and air, it won't be a plan. It'll be the unleashed frenzy of corruption never before seen in the annals of history. There is nothing more rewarding for a politician than to give out contracts to construction companies for building bridges, even if it's to nowhere. Building a superhighway guarantees a politician's career. Now you try unraveling the way our military-industrial complex has produced the business of protecting the American people, and you're liable to end up missing, chopped up, and fed to a pig farm out in Nebraska. No, you don't play around with questioning how the money has been spent for military hardware, because you'll get some ex-politician 
and ex-generals living large near the Potomac River upset. Those people don't like anyone looking at how they get their pork. No, those people know how to live well, and you don't want to make them angry because they can claim they're true patriots, and they know how to snuff you out. You've got real wolves and packs of wolves that work in that sector of our economy, and killing is nothing new with them. So spending government money for improving the infrastructure of America might be money better spent, even if the government doesn't have the money to pay for it. But let me assure you, when it comes to building bridges and highways, the system is fraught with illegal kickbacks and payoffs. Not to mention the cost for imagining new means of transportation systems. That can be an ever-ending, dark, and bottomless pit. But that's not really what I want to talk about, because the infrastructure bill has been proposed to spend the majority of the $2.3 trillion for social programs. Now, I make no bones about helping the people in this country. When it comes to top-down economic plans, I don't endorse trickle-down theories. No, I endorse bringing the top people down to the people below. But that's an issue for another show the future economic restructuring of our government. No, the social program of the infrastructure bill is what I really want to talk about, because in truth, it is about the rise of women in America's society. And that's a very difficult subject to approach.
you might be surprised to learn in 1838, the island of Pitcairn in the South Pacific was the first place in the world to declare women's rights equal to men. What those rights were is difficult to assess, but those who know the history of the mutiny on the HMS ship Bounty know the mutineers sailed their ship to the uninhabited island of Pitcairn. Once there, they set their ship ablaze, preventing them from ever leaving. When, in 1790, the bounty arrived at Pitcairn Island, there were nine remaining mutineers and 20 Polynesians, six men and 14 women. The Polynesians had been kidnapped or lured onto the bounty while in Tahiti. The future inhabitants of Pitcairn were 29 and were to live out their days on the island. And it didn't first end well. The women were passed by one man to another. And three years later, five of the Europeans were selectively murdered, including Fletcher Christian, the leader of the original mutiny aboard the bounty. Suicide and murder among the remaining mutineer settlers ended with only two surviving. The six Tahitian men had been killed by the women who had sided with the mutineers. And by 1800, only one mutineer was alive on Pitcairn Island. It was later documented by historians that in 1800 on Pitcairn Island, there were nine women and 19 children. Peace had been restored on the island, and by 1814, when Pitcairn was visited by two British warships, it was reported to have 46 inhabitants. What evolved on Pitcairn Island is difficult to determine. What kind of society existed is difficult to say. But the lone survivor of the mutiny died in 1829. And the community on the island, according to Wikipedia, and I quote, became celebrated over the next century as an example of Victorian morality, end quote. In 1838, it was declared the first place on earth to have women's suffrage, a place where women had the same rights as men. It's difficult to imagine what happened on that island on those tropical nights and how women attained something that in the rest of the world still has not been achieved. What happened within the community started by nine mutineers 
and 20 Polynesians that grew on that isolated island in the South Pacific must have been contentment. History of the mutiny on the bounty and what happened on the island of Pitcairn are true. It's been well documented. It's hard to believe the people of Pitcairn Island declared the rights of women were equal to men in 1838. Of course, the people on that island didn't live as we do today. Their choices or demands weren't as complex as what face women today. But I'm not entirely sure today women are content. And I'd be willing to bet you the women who believed their rights were equal to men on Pitcairn Island in 1838 were more content than the women today in America. Don't misunderstand me. What existed on the island in the South Pacific wasn't anywhere near what existed in the world prior to 1838 and after 1838. Today in the world, you can still see the manner in which women are treated in societies. And 
it isn't with respect. The struggle for equality with women in the United States will probably never end with their contentment. And when all is said and done, a sense of well-being and contentment is what must be achieved. And that isn't what's happening. I can't speak for women. I'm a man, and only a woman is capable of understanding what she or any other woman face. There should never be any question that men and women are the same, and attempts to have some strive for being like men simply robs them of their uniqueness. I'm not so sure women striving to achieve the same goals as men will make women have a sense of well-being. It may actually make them dissatisfied with who they truly are. The movement of women's rights shouldn't be on the basis of competing with men and proving they're just as good as men. No, that won't help women feel a sense of well-being. Women deserve equal pay in the workplace. But women in American society have no greater challenge than bringing new life into this world, not breaking the glass ceiling of corporate America. That's a natural truth and has lasted since the beginning of time. Today, the American family unit has been under assault, and the number of women in America raising children as a single parent, according to the Pew Research Center, is the largest in the world, and that condition has been rising accompanied by a decline in marriage. Of the 130 countries and territories, 
the U.S. has the world's highest rate of children living in single-parent households. Almost a quarter of the U.S. children under the age of 18 live with one parent and no other adult. And that number is dramatically different than in China, with only 3%, 5% in India, and 7% in Japan. The present $2.3 trillion infrastructure bill before Congress attempts in part to help those women financially who struggle to raise children as a single adult in a household. I'm in favor of helping households with those conditions. A burden placed on a woman alone to care for children can be overwhelming, and giving assistance should be done. But it should be clear, the values that have created this situation should be considered. Somewhere, somehow, the political struggle for women's rights has contributed to this condition. And it's not a good way to promote the raising of children. In a single parent household, women that insist on their rights should also be ever conscious of accomplishing raising children alone. It is not just a matter of money. Unfortunately, the struggle for women's rights have reduced an antipathy toward men. Maybe there's good reason for that, considering how men over history have controlled the lives of women. But there are consequences on how the lives of children may be affected by not having the influence of a male gender in their lives. We may already see social norms being stretched by society, which encourages sameness. There is no sameness in nature, and to promote that idea is dangerous. There is only difference, and how to learn to respect that difference.
this week on Garner Isn't. The music you first heard comes from the 1998 movie The Truman Show, composed by Dirkhard Dalowitz. First, a cut from the composition Underground, followed by Drive. Then, a cut from Frederick Chopin's piano concerto Romance, Legretto, composed when he was 20 years of age and first performed in 1830. Then, more music from The Truman Show, Reunion, and Truman Sets Sail, and finally, Truman Sleeps. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.